Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Director Ben Lawrence's intimate documentary film, Ithaca, is told from the rare perspective of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange's formerly estranged father, John Shipton, as well as Assange's fiance, now wife, Stella Morris. It is a powerful documentary film that highlights the hypocrisy of Assange's case, as well as the increasing number of people around the world calling for his release. It is a moving portrayal of one father's fight to save his son. Ithaca exposes the brutal realities of the campaign to keep Julian Assange from being set free. The film again is called Ithaca, and we're joined today by the director, Ben Lawrence. Ben Lawrence, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. I look forward to chatting. Thank you so much. I'm just going to take a step back just in case somehow, some way, people who are listening to our conversation do not know enough about Julian Assange and why he's has become such an important figure in U.S. politics, in world politics, in journalism, in publishing. How did Julian Assange come to us? And and if you want to get into any of the reasons why he's so controversial, feel free to do that as well. Yeah, sure. Well, look, Julian Assange came on my radar in probably 2010 when he released a video that was recorded from an Apache helicopter uh, during the Iraq war uh, of a number of uh, civilians being um, shot at by the helicopter. Um, I think 12 individuals died possibly during that, but certainly three of them were journalists uh, for Reuters. For me, that was the moment when I became aware of WikiLeaks and became aware of Julian's work. Uh, He had started WikiLeaks only, I think, three or four years earlier and uh, had some success in publishing some documents out of Africa regarding corruption in the government in Kenya and places. Uh, And so when the collateral murder video came out in 2010, I think most of the world came to know Julian and WikiLeaks at that point. He was heralded as, at that point, really redefining or disrupting journalism in a new way. He was providing an outlet through the WikiLeaks website website, uh, to anonymously provide information for whistleblowers to upload documents or videos or uh, any media to WikiLeaks website, which uh, protected their identity and allowed WikiLeaks then to verify the material and publish it on the website. So it was kind of a combination of Julian's ability with technology and programming and also his desire uh, to create a platform that I think was anti-war in its in its basis, in its founding principles, and also expose corruption. But really its aim was to create a bulwark for journalism in a new way to show how we can get large amounts of information, uh, real information, uh, raw information to the public. And then since then, the story has evolved with twists and turns in regards to how Julian and WikiLeaks have proceeded and and the other publications uh, that were made. They went on to publish a lot of information about the Iraq and Afghanistan war uh, in regards to what was going on there, Abu Ghraib uh, prisoner detainee files regarding torture. 
the amount of deaths in Iraq uh, that were un unaccounted for by the US government. Virtually there's no country on earth that has remained untouched by WikiLeaks publications in some form or fashion. I think the diplomatic cables, of uh, the, the communications between uh, diplomats was a really interesting release that they did. It showed how diplomats discuss current uh, countries' behaviour and, and negotiations. So it goes on and on. They've, they've purported to have published 10 million documents uh, from around the world. Uh, many of them focus on on, on US government uh, behaviour and communication. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. I think we can talk a little bit further about it. But really, Julian, what surprised me the most is Julian's probably the most famous Australian um, and, and you could argue probably the most famous publisher or journalist of his generation. He's now about 53, 52, 53 years old. I do want to get into more of what Julian Assange has been doing through WikiLeaks and the significance of it. Certainly, it's hard not to see that much of the legal trouble that he is in now has mostly, and maybe I'm tipping my hand a little bit, mostly has to do with the governments and the people that he has offended than it has to do with him being a journalist or or not being it. The controversy I think for some is that is he really a journalist? And so we we can and that's for another part of the conversation. I believe we can do that. But I want to talk about John Shipton because I was vaguely familiar with. I must have heard his name somewhere fairly recently. I wasn't that um, familiar with him until until I saw the Ithaca. But he, as well as as I mentioned, his wife, Stella Morris, the access that you had to them, the trust that they must have felt around you to be able to talk so frankly about the things that were going on. Um, what was that process like to get it, getting to know John Shipton and how did that evolve into we, what we see in the film? Uh, well, look, I was just very lucky uh, to get a phone call in mid-2020 from Gabriel Shipton, who is John's son and also the producer of the film, Ithaca. Um, and he rang me up uh, and said, would you be interested in doing a documentary about his brother, Julian, and focusing on the plight of uh, his plight, but seen through their father, John Shipton, and his advocacy to free Julian from prison. And I thought it was such an amazing idea uh, and a really interesting way into the Julian Assange story that has been going on for more than a decade. Um, and also presented a very uh, present tense uh, vehicle to tell this story, which is very complicated. And what really um, inspired me the most is it was an emotional angle. It really boiled down to a father trying to save his son. And I think we can all relate to that because Julian's been put in prison. He's been prosecuted by arguably the most powerful nation uh, state on earth with all its uh, capabilities. And so it's an insurmountable, almost impossible uh, a challenge that John had and Stella have taken on to try and free Julian. So with that, it felt like a really modern uh, David and Goliath story and a, a story about a family just trying to do the best to save one of their own. And I, I think we could all relate to that. But really from about August 2020, those discussions with Gabriel started. Um, he rang me and said, would you be prepared to go to London? This was in the middle of COVID. And um, within a month, I was on a plane and spent the next four months in London filming uh, John and through Europe, Stella, on their journey. Gaining the trust really came through Gabriel because, you know, it was a family film that they wanted to make about one of their own. The other producer, interestingly, is Adrian Devont, who is Stella's brother. 
So it was the, the two two producers were family members of the two key people in the film, and uh, that's what gave me the trust. Trust was paramount in this, not only because of the sensitivity around uh, Julian's case, um, also because there was an active uh, legal uh, court case going on at the time, and also because I think that Stella and John work and have operated within an environment where Julian has been surveilled by the CIA for many, many years, and whether or not you know your communications are being, um, you know, are compromised uh they just have to act in a way in which they protect whatever uh, the legal case is whatever personal things about their families um and so they're very private people on top of that they're, they're the most unlikely people that you may put in a documentary in regards to being so private but i really wouldn't have gotten this accept without gabriel's idea to make a documentary and because of that i really cherished it and uh it was a really interesting process very small group of us there was myself cameraman gabriel and adrian and we had a we had a, a couple of other people helping us along the way during the filming and because it was during COVID, we were really our, our own bubble we would we would live together we would ride in the taxi together to the court and we would eat together in the evening and i think that's reflected in the film in the in that unique period in history we were able to really stick together it created a claustrophobia at times they're obviously going through a very stressful period and then i've got the camera there so it because of all that that really defined a lot of the style of the film was to be very observational and watch their lives uh from uh, a, a kind of a fly on the wall point of view and 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 that's what really i think gives the film its intimacy and and also the level of trust that that they showed me it is really like a family film in in the sense that if that a, an accomplished filmmaker was making a film about his own family it feels that way and um as i mentioned in the introduction uh john shipton had not really spent any time with julian growing up and reconnected with him fairly late in life and so we get to see that relationship flourish that's a word I, I think that would work for this at least to the point where he's always connected to him as his father i'm sure that that and that comes across in the film but just the fact that they spent so much time apart and you know it's hard not to see that theme in julian assange's life of of connection and then disconnection um and I mean, it, there's a lot of things and that just sort of play out in in a in a psychological way and very cinematically in the film as well that uh that just give this such a depth to it uh and i uh i mean it really is wonderful filmmaking but um getting to know stella morris well let's talk about john shifton just in terms of that getting reconnected with julian over these many years what was that yeah like? no it's it's a really interesting point that you raise in regards to his relationship evolving um the John's relationship evolving with Julian in Julian's absence, you know, effectively Julian is in solitary confinement up to 20 plus hours a day. Uh, John is able to visit him. Uh, but during COVID because of John's age, he was seen as a vulnerable individual and wasn't allowed into the prison. So uh, the prison was locked down for a period of time. Stella couldn't even go in and visit Julian as well. So this sort of heightened the atmosphere, but 
John as a character was a real gift as a, for me as a filmmaker because of his inaccessibility as a person. Um, he even talks about how closed off he is to people or has been in the past. I think that's in reflected in his um, you know, disconnection from Julian from age three up until uh, when Julian was in his 20s. Uh, it wasn't until Julian was in his 20s, he reconnected with John. So they've really only known each other as, as two men. But people that know Julian well, and you can see John on the film, is that people refer, tell me, explain to me how similar they really are. Oh, yeah. And and w what I wanted to do is, to, as in the film, is is give people an understanding of Julian, an understanding of this global historic figure through the people that loved him, particularly his father, as a proxy to understand more deeply who this man is in Julian Assange. That was the challenge of the film and that was kind of the premise in which we operated. And it was really Julian's absence in which heightens the those moments when you do hear him on the phone and the audience leans in to this tiny little voice or we see him reduced to someone on the screen in a FaceTime call. That in itself was part of the design of the film to take a man who really had the, ears, ear, the, the, the ear of the world, I guess, the, the world's attention at one point in his life to be reduced to that. And so his family become people who speak for him. I think we really um, want to know more about Julian as a person, what motivates him, what drives him. And uh, John was a real gift in order to understand that. And for me, getting to know John was a really wonderful experience. I mean, I think the film reflects the affection I have for him in the way that um, you get to know him. But he's also, you know, a very troubled individual through hermit for a number of years. He isolated himself from people and people were a real puzzle to him in terms of way he related to them and um, the mixture gives us some sense that abrasiveness as well at times gives us some sense of the fierceness the intelligence and also the possible social awkwardness that may go on with Julian as well but it gives us another angle to understand this person who otherwise has made such an impact on the world it's uh, we hoped it was some contribution to do that uh, in some way that was emotional as well yeah. It's easy to see just in the way that they speak, the connection, the way that the cadence in their voices is very similar. Their their bearing is very similar. The, Julian has a premature white or gray hair. You see his father who, I mean, you could think that they were an older brother, younger brother, you know, given the way that they, they are, um, the, the way that they are as we see them. And uh, but it is also interesting for me that Julian Assange burst onto the scene as for me as similar way that he did for you. I was aware of him maybe a, be a, before that, but uh, certainly the release of that video that we see in the film of the attack on those three journalists and uh, and the by that helicopter, the U.S. helicopter. It's interesting because Julian never struck me as someone who seeks the spotlight. That he is is sort of a missionary zeal about getting information out as unfiltered as possible. That seems to be it's what he seems to be about. It is the purest informational flow. Um, because even newspapers, they edit, they do leave things and they put they they inject things into a story about something, which is a good thing. I'm not disparaging journalism, 
But Julianus realized that this new technology of the internet and all the capabilities that come from that, that we have an opportunity to hear the unvarnished truth about things. And then we have the opportunity to decide what to do with that. And that is an amazingly important thing that he's been about, that I truly respect about what he's done. It's amazing on so many levels. I mean, if, if you if you look at the phrase scientific journalism, where they're trying to present something in, a, in an academic, raw way, I mean, WikiLeaks certainly had that principle about it. Uh, it had a principle of bringing information to the public in a way in which they could assess it in its raw form for themselves and make better decisions going forward. I think that Julian diagnosis and what I've read about uh, uh, the way autism does work with people is their relationship to the truth can be extreme at times. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at take someone like Greta Thunberg and her her uh, advocacy for the climate and her autism is is a kind of a, a very principled, but it also it's it's like uh, it, it presents information in a way uh, in regards to the truth that. It's almost like other people can't see the power of it. And I think Julian was very much enraptured by this idea and this principle that WikiLeaks had and wanted to bring that to the world. So there's a passion that kind of underscores it as well. And then you have the technological aspect of it where he was able to work with, you know, existing cryptography techniques to protect those identity of those whistleblowers, which also circumvented access journalism. So where you had mainstream uh, journalist outlets had relationships within, you know, uh, intelligence or defense that they wanted to maintain. So they could not publish certain things they were asked not to. Whereas what Julian was able to do is that he could verify his information, but his sources were protected, but he didn't need to have a relationship with those outlets in order to get the information. So it circumvented something that is inherently kind of flawed within journalism, those relationships that they rely on, meant that he could publish things without the interesting aspect to it as well. So in, in so many ways, I think WikiLeaks provided these little touch points about what the future of journalism may look like. And the other thing that should be said is, you know, going back over even 20 years, the sort of information that he was publishing, we would have waited a generation or more to find out about Yeah. in terms of the way they classify these documents. You know, you look at in regards to JFK's files, they're still holding on to them and some of them aren't coming out till 2070, I understand. It was a way for this information that was almost happening in real time about a war that was going on for the public to assess. And I think in, in a lot of ways it brought about I would hope to say a much quicker end to these wars, even though Afghanistan went on for 20 years. But we all knew what a mistake, both of them. I mean, interestingly, we're talking about it on the 20th anniversary of the Iraq, second Iraq invasion. So it was it, it, it's a really interesting time to reflect. And I think that history will judge Julian in a way which sees the importance and other people will take on the baton in technological ways, I think in journalistic ways. And I think we're seeing a new rebirth of journalism as well. We don't know what it looks like, but it, in some part, uh, WikiLeaks has shown us part of what the face may look like. At a time when the world is overrun with information, misinformation, disinformation, lies, for him to emerge basically at the dawn of this new misinformation age and be sort of this light, if you will, of this is something, as you described, we don't have to wait 
until uh, for 20 or 30 years to find out, or 40 years. I just watched the documentary about Richard Nixon and his plan to end the war in Vietnam. This was information that recently came out mm-hmm. that he was pre- he, he one of the ways in which he wanted to end the war was to either threaten or use nuclear weapons against the North Vietnamese. And this was well known within his administration. There's so much that we will be digesting scholars and politicians and government officials will be digesting so much of the information that Julian has been responsible for getting out for decades to come. And um, that in and of itself is amazing. It, just to kind of yeah. accentuate your point, it's an amazing gift and that sort of volume of detailed information about the way governments operate, and it will be studied for, for generations. I think the also the important thing is to say that it has provided so many oppressed peoples an opportunity to see what was going on and bring some justice to uh, all parts of the world. And those court cases are going on unreported in the news, but it does provide some evidence that they can submit to whatever their courts are and and, and get some justice. And really, I think, is is an untold part of the story about WikiLeaks as well. That's the thing about this. As a consumer of news, as someone who tries to pay attention to the world in which we live, I cannot tell you, and I'm sure you've had the same experience, as you follow a story, as you follow a particular issue and policy grows up around it, there's there's a to and fro back through the through the political stuff, but particularly when it comes to matters of war. And the Iraq war is a perfect example of that, where we, me and the people that are basically in my tribe, were saying long before we had confirmation that the reason that they were doing this was completely false. It was, it's basically, we knew, but we couldn't confirm what we were hearing, what we mm. knew to be true. And that certainly had a tremendous impact on the ability to stop it from happening. But we knew if we were paying attention, you knew what was going to happen in Iraq. You knew that second invasion was going to be a disaster. It was going to destabilize the region. You knew all of these things were going to happen. And we were right. It's a really interesting time to reflect on that. And the cycle of which we repeat it um, is doesn't seem to be ending. But I think these things help. Julian was able to shine a light on those things for a moment until that light was then turned back on him. And I think that's a really interesting thing for journalists going forward who do want to report on these things. I know in your country, people like Daniel Ellsberg, you have to go back, you know, 40 years before you're more, before you can find someone who has a similar situation to Julian. And I think the same threat applies to journalism, Julian's legal case, as applies to Ellsberg's case. I was going to say the flow against information is 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 is, is an ongoing battle, and I I don't think we're going to see the end of it. But governments are trying to stem the flow, and I think journalists are trying to hopefully increase it. And that at the crux of that is a is a real strong battle, and and I, I think it's going to play out for a long time. And one thing about Ithaca that strengthened my resolve in this regard is that he should be considered a journalist, and he should be considered a publisher. And he should have. She, he should be afforded all of those protections. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a really important point to make is that the journalistic, the protections for journalists are around journalistic activity. Because you're employed as a journalist or you belong to a union or you work for a newspaper doesn't automatically protect you. There are some jurisdictions where it does. But what, what you're protected by is your journalistic activity. So if I, if I protected in some form or fashion, 
So it is not the journalists themselves. I think that's a really important distinction to be made. What's interesting about Julian's case is that he's not an American citizen. And so there's a debate around whether or not he uh, should be afforded the rights of the First Amendment. Uh, ironically, people like Julian, people like Snowden, uh, people like Daniel Ellsberg, they are fierce defenders of the First Amendment. And that is part of the motivation for the reason by which they reveal of what they revealed. You look at someone like Snowden and Ellsberg, they are patriots of the highest order. And it's that reason that they wished to bring the information that they felt was uh, revealing corruption or war crimes or whatever it was to the people, to their other citizens. And so in the same way, Julian is a, is he's the proponent of the First Amendment, the freedom of the press, all the things that I think are the, the greatest aspects of the American society, he holds up very dearly. His principle was to bring the First Amendment to the rest of the world. We've been having a long discussion about Julian Assange and his work, which is important and it's an important part of the film, but uh, Stella Morris and her devotion as a as a mom, as a wife, as an advocate, um, is just an incredible, incredible thing to watch and to to try to just understand just this the just the the overwhelming weight of all of this on her and her family um, is incredible. It's an incredible part of the film. She she's amazing, and 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 it was such a gift to have her in the film. When I started, she wasn't involved in the film. Uh, it was really going to be about John. And it, it became apparent that Stella might be involved. And then slowly, as we spent more time filming, we spent more time together, she was more comfortable to do it. But also so much was changing in her life. So only uh, when we started filming in, in 2020, it was only a few months earlier that it became public that, that Stella was Julian's partner and uh, that they had two children together. And it was only through a judge's refusal to keep her identity uh, concealed within one of the uh, papers of the, the court proceedings uh, that she was forced to actually go out and uh, publicly take ownership of herself as Julian's partner. And so that was all happening and we documented that whole period, but we didn't know whether or not it was gonna be part of the film. So what she did I think in that moment was really take control of her being identified as Julian's partner. She did it in a way in which she was able to protect her children. Um, she did it in a way in which she could advocate for Julian more strongly. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the spotlight was really put on her uh, in a way in which any of us could really, if any of us were put in that situation, it would be so confronting. Uh, and again, Stella's very private, as is John, and she has two young children to contend with and protect. Um, and then with her hus now husband, Julian, in jail, all of that as a family unit trying to navigate that, uh, so complicated. But I think as a two-hander, the film presents these two people doing what they can with their own skills and their personality to advocate for Julian. Um, but when they come together, it's such a beautiful thing because they're working together as this team, uh, very different types of people. And Stella was just so great. And she's part of the legal team, Julian's legal team. So she has a unique perspective on, on that as well. It's a really beautiful love story, I think. It you is, know, it really when is. You, when you look back on it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, the circumstances under which love can flourish. I just want to let people know they can go to 
Ithaca, I-T-H-A-A-A dot movie to find out more about the film, where it's going to be screening. Do you have any release dates for Los Angeles? We do. If you go to Ithaca.movie, um, okay. there'll be the listings there. Alamo Drafthouse across the US are handling a lot of the screenings. And keep an eye out. John and Gabriel are currently touring around the US doing Q&As after the screening. So that's a pretty unique experience if you're interested. Keep an eye out for them. I want to thank you so very much for your time today. Ben Lawrence, the director, writer of the film Ithaca. Terrific documentary film. Please see this. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's been great. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music